Hello everyone, this is Ken Root. This is the sixth episode of Better Than Nothing. The Podbean statistics show that several hundred of you have listened to one or more of these podcasts. I thank you. If you would like to give a thumbs up and subscribe to the podcast, I would appreciate it. That action also lets you know when another is posted. This week's guest offers a challenge. He speaks English as a second language. But considering that he learned our language undercover in the communist country of Albania during the 1970s and 80s, he converses remarkably well. I call him the original grandfather who came to America and became an American. He is educated and cultured, and yet he sees his life as doing whatever jobs need to be done, from the first one he had in the U.S., sorting mail in the Minneapolis post office overnight, to remodeling and renting houses that he owns. He is conservative in his beliefs and as strong a voice for democracy as I have ever heard. I am very pleased to have with me a gentleman I met back in the mid-1990s when he came to the United States for a visit from Albania. Chef Chet Mako is a man who just has an aura about him and I think you'll pick it up as well as we have a chance to have a conversation. Let me see if I got your first name right. Am I saying Chef Chet correctly? You say perfect. Most of people cannot say, but Chef Chet is perfect. Actually, it's a Turkish name as an as a original name and means kind of uh, light. Light, mm. coming the light. <laughs> I never change. Uh, by the way, when I moved first time in the U.S., I have a very, very good friend that support me all the time to make all the paperwork. And one of his advice when I flew to U.S. said, go there and change your name. I said, no, mm. I will not change my name. I will take everything everything from U.S., but not changing my name. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. And uh, I think it's obligatory upon us to give you some personal independence and... Uh, integrity and your name and your customs uh your religion things of that uh, to me are something that it should be your choice and not someone else's choice if you wish to change them but your ride through life uh has been fascinating and i didn't know until recently that you were an author but it seems like now with my podcast i'm interviewing more authors so Later on, I'd like to hear about what you have written and if there's any of it that is in English so that we could uh, settle in with a book perhaps next winter and see some of the stories as you choose to tell them. Let me start, if you wouldn't mind, with a few things that I know about you but others don't. And that is that you came from Albania after the fall of communism, but you were a boy, a man, and married in Albania, and your children were born there. Tell us, with no loss of detail, how life was under communism in Albania. Uh, it's something that uh, remain in our memory for one main reason. Because you live in a society where the government is telling to do everything. Your government telling you how where to work, how to work, 
where to study, what to study, what to love and what not to love. Government telling you what to believe and what not to believe. Saying with a simple way, socialism or communism is a dictatorship of one person over the life of all others. They want you to do what they want for themselves. They don't care about your dreams, your freedom, your personality or idea that could be totally against them. And in socialism, socialism, you have no enough courage to tell everything what you think because there is one way if you are going to say something that is not likable, is against the policy, you end up in a jail. And nobody likes to end up in a jail. That is the way that communism survived for almost half century in, in Eastern Europe. We see exactly right now what happened with, with that kind of uh, uh, reaction against the freedom. No dictatorship wants free people. America is the country of the free people. That is a foundation of the power of America for me. Because here you find out yourself, your dream, your path of living, and you set up your goal that you are responsible to achieve and not government to tell you how. Chef Jet, when you were young, uh, obviously you were bright because you were identified to become a veterinarian, as you told me, and you did become a veterinarian, or at least you did your studies. How did you learn English, or did you learn English there during that time? Uh, that is a funny story of my memories, because when I was just finishing my high school, I'm sorry, middle school, I was asking to study for some special subject like literature or politics or something like that was my dream. But most, most of my focus was to study for literature. The government decide how many students will go to university. So in that point, government decide what students need to go for journalism, what student needs to go for uh, architect, uh, mechanic or engineer or uh, veterinary. So you have no choice. You make three written choice formally, but they decide you what to do. And that was my, my luck. They sent me to study for veterinary. You know, don't make me wrong. I was born and grew up in a village. And, uh, you know, I was all the time with animals, nature, agriculture, uh, farmer people, and I love that. But loving that doesn't mean that I, I should choose that as a, as, a, as a path of my life. My life was to be like a journalist, to write, to search for the life, to dream for the life. And in that time, I never forget, I wrote the life of uh, Honoré de Balzac, a great writer of French, and I was dreaming to be like him. But the government told me, no, you need to go to study for veterinarian. And I did. But I was lucky meantime that being student for veterinarian, that I was graduated with a, with a top grade, I never stopped writing in a, in a independent way, like writing small article to some uh, magazine, newspaper around. And I succeed to 
do something without having my full education as a journalist or, or a writer. But did you find in your country that uh, people watched you or that people informed on each other like they do in some of the other extreme communist countries? Now, before that, uh, can let me remark something about, because that is uh, very interesting. In the time that I was uh, in a school to, to have a subject of learning foreign language, I was uh, dreaming to have as a subject English. But do you know what? Government put in my program to study Russian. I was forced to study Russian that I didn't like. For some reason, I didn't like Russian as a language. And even that Russian is a great writer and a great personality you know, in, in, a, in a world culture. But I didn't like to learn Russian. I was dreaming to learn English. So in a subject, I have to work for in Russian language. But with my friends, I start to learn in a free way, independent way, and, not, and hiding somewhere in, in a bedroom to learn English by listening uh, BBC English by radio, a special program that I never forget. I, I want to soak this up because we forget uh, how it was in so much of Eastern Europe. You told me another story that was gripping, uh, but you, make, you seem to make most bad things humorous. You told me about your wife having uh, your first son, Arbor, and, uh, and that you had to go to the milk store. Can you relate that to me? I, I never forget that. Any time that I go in market, I remember that moment in my life. Because uh, our first son was born in uh, July 1990, just the day when the first Gulf War started, actually. And uh, <laughs> we have been on a queue there, waiting for the, for the milk supply to come. Uh, we used to take uh, the line from 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock. And uh, in that moment, we have a lot of conversation about what's happening, what are we going to do with that market that is so uh, not sufficient for our, our uh, basic needs. And we talk about the, that war that starts in, in the Gulf with, uh, with Saddam Hussein from America at the time. And one of the guys said to me, let's wait for the milk, not to talk for politics, because we could jump in a crazy discussion there. The problem is that it was, uh, again, government control of everything. So government supposed to supply your, your milk, your cheese, your meat, everything. So it was a crazy way of uh, the way the socialism was. Now we see even Albania, now after 30 years of collapse of communism, market is a magic. Market is, is, is a powerful thing that people needs to be adapt and needs to, to go through because in a market you, you find out all the kind of business and when something is missing, is coming from market as well. You make me uh, smile a bit as I can tell you. Your politics are fairly conservative. I think even Donald Trump would like having you come to America from Albania, uh, even though he may not think it's a good country. Okay, the first son was born. You had a very hard time getting milk. But you said the marketplace worked. So you have the second son, whose name is Jan, born, 
how did things go then? And uh, you know, we saw very quick how how dramatic change happened to the flea market. We even that we came a very strong communist country where everything was uh, nationalized. It was under the, the government control. And uh, I never forget something that we have been taught in school because our school is 50% uh, uh, of ideology and uh, uh, political literature. One of the, 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 the propaganda that we used to make from government was that private property could burn every day of the slavery. So it was idea that everything that is a private is a slavery for the rest of the people. And we didn't have that vision of what is a private and what is ownership and what is American individualism and American freedom. Because for me, America is a, is a thing of individualism. Individuals that are strong, are free, are, are motivated to build their life in the way they want, but when it's coming moment, they know how to come together and to, to gather around the best value of American country, American homeland. With that, we have been born in different country. We have always different reference. Let's say I never forget when I was first time driving the car. I drove the car when I was over 40. I didn't have a car before. Even some bikes that I used to have back in Albania, most of them were stolen because we were so poor. The bike was the most thing that you could have. But I remember the time when I drove first time my car in American highway, I was singing all the time. I was so happy because it was kind of touching the freedom. You meet the freedom in a highway. And on, on that car, that way I try to compare American life. It's like driving the car. In the car, you are responsible. You, you turn when you want to turn. You have a speed that you want to have a speed. You, you stop, you want to stop. Everything is under your control. American life is one luxury car that driving from free man. That is a great analogy of freedom. I never would have looked at it that way, but now I can see what you're talking about. One more Albania question, and that is, in the era you were in there, right after 1990, the wall had come down in Germany, communism was shrinking. Was the overthrow and the change in the government rapid in Albania, or did it take some time? It was not uh, so rapidly and we expected, because the, the, for 40 years, it was a creator idol that uh, uh, former dictator Enver Hoxha was uh, the most uh, glory leader that Albania had, because everything that media tried to present for him was a cover from the glory, never mistake a man, all the time right. And so, so many people were connected to this figure like a hope of Albania. Like people say that without him, there is no Albania. That was so connected the fundamentalism of communism to one person. That was totally wrong. And that make a little bit slow changing in our society to become quite free. Because former communist people, and that is one, one of the suffering of East Europe, former people that used to have a serving in high position of former government, they used to be loyal to the to the one leader, they changed the suite. They, they, 
they took another suit that came, they came with a, a democratic idea. And that was the biggest change, biggest difficulty that Albanian, common Albanian, supposed to fight. Because those people used to be on the power. They, they did know what does it mean to be in a government job, and they jumped on other side, create the party, try to create a business. So in some way, uh, real people, people that hoping to democracy like like uh, like we want to be, didn't didn't meet their dreams, because it was a, a very hard changing. I I think that people that lived most of the time in communism sometimes became very dangerous because those talking about those people that have a power and came after collapse of communism. There is a mutation in their idea how to control the people. Even they live in a free society, they want to control, like Putin tried to do right now. Putin, for me, with that war in Ukraine, is a, the one terrible example of a political mutation from in a former communist countries. Because those kind of people, they see all the power, all the control, everything under their own name, and they have no any other option to see what other people are thinking about them or about their policy. It's very interesting to say that uh, that war in Ukraine, Ukraine for the first time is a telling that freedom has a price, freedom is not easy, not everybody likes freedom and democracy in the way that America tried to offer the rest of the world. So for the freedom, you have to fight. And the Ukrainian people are showing that love for the freedom die the last. Jeff Tetmeko, my guest here, is Albanian, as you can tell his accent. He has come to America after 1990 uh, and uh, married his wife Alma and two boys at that time, young boys. And I still don't quite understand how you wound up in the mid-90s in Minneapolis, but I saw you first in my studio of Agritalk back a couple of years earlier than that, and you at that time were a journalist. So was that your choice of things to do once communism fell? Actually, uh, when communism fell, I was full of hopes that the world has been changed forever. I thought that uh, being under the very isolated country, I thought that new freedom that was coming in our country, and thanks to America that insisted all the time to free Albania from communism, I thought that now the world is going to different path of development and different, different area of, of the life for entire world. I was kind of uh, uh, very optimist in that point. And even that I loved America, America is, was my dream. I came here for a couple of times for training. I came here and I flew from DC to California and from Florida to Minnesota for some training program. I figured out that America, that huge country that is wonderful, it's still too small. I mean, in the way that is still small. Every America is huge, but still we all gathering around our families 
our table of uh, dining, our friends. So in that point, we are still small because that is a core value of every society. And my dream was that, oh, I see how my America does work. I was planning to go back in Albania to apply those knowledge and to be like a, a contributor, like a cha cha game changer in, in, in a society to bring some American value and to apply to my home country because America couldn't be the home of entire world. Everybody's supposed to fight in their own country like, like, like Ukrainians are doing right now. So what I was trying to do in that time was just uh, working with some American experts that used to come there through the VOCA and some USID project, project financed from US government. And over there, I, I created first one association of Albanian agriculture journalists. It was a kind of bringing the journalists together, discuss and connect and having some international connection, going in some different conferences, learning, and coming back to Albania to apply those knowledge. And that, that actually was my learning from America. You could be useful in your home country. But all of this was a turnover when in 1997 we had been close to civil war, civil war because of collapse of pyramid schemes, if you remember that. We have a, uh, almost the entire country was in oppressed, government uh, fell down, no rule of law. I've been uh, walking through the bullets, like, like, like people attack a military base, they took the guns, they, they tried to kill one another. And that was the moment that I said, hey, I have one life to live. I need at least to think for my kids and my family. And to be honest, uh, Ken, I did apply to go to New Zealand in that time because I made decision to leave Albania because I didn't see any future there. All the things were in order. I almost had interview to set up with the US, I mean, the New Zealand embassy in London when my wife won a lottery visa, diversity program visa. It's a special program that the United States is offering about 50,000 green card visa for the people around the world by choosing random, like a lottery. So I denied my New Zealand immigration process and i came in u.s <laughs> well to in case someone didn't quite understand you managed to get uh, a chance to immigrate to new zealand and then you got alma in effect won the lottery of the family's opportunity to come to the united states you rejected the one in new zealand and you came to the united states and you called me and you said ken i am in Minneapolis. And I <laughs> yes. thought, oh my gosh, what a huge jump that is. But now we're in the U.S. And I wonder if you could describe, beyond the driving of the car analogy, what it was like for your children going to school and you and Alma getting jobs in the U.S. For everybody that's coming to the U.S., uh, in most uh, cases, uh, people have kind of illusion what could be life in America. They have illusion and like a, a wrong dreaming about the way that America has been built. So I was traveling in America before coming as immigrant. I have a clear picture what to do. So we as immigrant, we have a well-known saying, forget what you have been in your home country, look forward what you could be in America. 
So at that point, you have to start the life from the scratch. So no question to be like, a, I do the job, I don't do. I like the job, I don't like. My first job was a male handler in a US post office. And I was singing first night of the job because in eight hours job, I used to make an entire month salary of my home country. So I was singing and working with the people around because it, it was so different. If you compare the things in the beginning, it's like a day and night is a big change. Don't make me wrong. To build your life from the scratch in America is not easy. The, the magic in America is that nobody has been stopped from possibility. Nobody has been stopped to work hard. You can work two or three jobs. I didn't work two or three jobs. My wife did work two jobs because he was so uh, eager to achieve something very quick. I said, because I was spending most of the time with the kids. So we together were thinking, sit down one time in a table. Like, Darling, what are you going to do now? She said, we have a lot of dreams, but we don't have enough time. I said, slow, slow down. No, we need to move. We need to buy the house. We need to, to, to build some business. Without business, without independence of, of your economy in America, you couldn't live American dream. It was my wife inspiring me <laughs> in that way. So we try, we bought our house. After that, we invest. We, after two years, we bought another house for investment, for rental. And our kids did go in school. I never forget the moment when the kids, even that walking distance from our house in the south Minneapolis, that was a Mora Schwartz house, my friend, uh, first opened the door for me in uh, Minneapolis. They sent the bus, bus to pick up my kids just to be safe. They're working, they're coming safe in the school. So America was offering me some bright side of society, but never, never, uh, never hide the hard side of working. In America, America offer everything, but doesn't give anything for free. That is my, my, my most uh, important lesson that I got from my life 20 some years in USA. I recall talking to you uh, on an AgriTalk show, and I asked you about uh, when you had come, and you said, well, when I was in Albania, my boys were old enough to be going to school. I believe your boys were born 1988, 1990, somewhere around that vicinity. No. Is that correct? My boys was born in 90 and 1993. Uh, 90 and 93. So before you came here, they were going to school, and... You told me they were walking a considerable distance to school, little boys. And he's, you said, but now we live across the street from the school. And I thought, good. And you said, but it is a busy street, so they send a bus. How, what we take for granted and uh, who we are and what we do. But, you know, you've become more American than we are in many ways. I mean, you have... You have your children. I'd love to hear about them in a few minutes. Your wife working, you working, you saving your money, spending it well, increasing your property. But I wonder if you are remaining with your Albanian culture as much as you held it close when you came here. As much as I love uh, American culture, I can never forget where I came from. So this is who I am. I like to be 
and I have been kind of a bridge between my culture and the American culture. I've been trying to live between my country and my born country and my huge country of different life. And that nobody stops to do. That is a magic in America. Nobody stops you. Don't do that. You, you, you have to, to do here. You, you are here. You just think in American way. I, I have done so much things to help new immigrants from Albania to come here. I was so eager to tell them how to start the life, how to open one uh, credit card or bank account or how to take uh, uh, to apply for insurance or to apply for a job. It was my way that I tried. Being in America, you learn all the way how to move around. And it's your, you feel inside yourself that if you learn that way, that path of uh, uh, understanding American life, just pass that experience to others. And nobody can do better than you talk to somebody that is coming with a broken English or with an Albanian that has not enough understanding and you translate that in mother language so they quickly get, can get uh, involved in American life and becoming a good citizen, paying the tax, living a normal life and achieving uh, things that you never could achieve in your home country. When I was uh, called by you to come to the party after you had been sworn in as an American citizen, you were naturalized as American citizen somewhere around 2003, would that be correct? 2005. 2005. So in 2005, you were became an American citizen, and I drove to Minneapolis. And just what you're saying is, is the truth, folks, because he was surrounded by Albanian people. But in the room where the party was, there was a big American flag, a big U.S. flag. And each of you would take turns of those who had been naturalized, wrapping the flag around yourselves, smiling, laughing. Alma would come along with you as well, since she was naturalized as well. And everybody would have their picture taken with that American flag. And yet the culture in the room was Albanian. Absolutely. Not only that, uh, uh, Ken, but uh, even nowadays, you don't have any other country in Europe to love America as American uh, as Albanian due uh, uh, to America. There is unconditional love for this country. Since uh, early 19th century, Albania was remain as Albanian, even a tiny country, thanks to U.S. President uh, Wilson. They decide, Alban because in that time, Europe has been very confused so many times to decide what to do with those small country or very problematic country that Albania used to be without any, any uh, tradition in govern governing itself because it was for five centuries under the, the, the Turkey Empire. However, even now, people, when you say America in Albania, they just salute you in an American way. That is a love that even, even now, they see America is, as a light that is coming from the West. And I hope that America, uh, America is not going to disappoint Albanian and the rest of the world. It's not going to disappoint even Ukrainian that are fighting now uh, very hard to protect their freedom, their independence, and their, 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 their culture of, of, of integrity that is Ukrainian people. Let so, me ask you a hard question. If your children were asked to fight 
for the United States against Russia, would you favor them doing so? Totally their choice. I, I was going to fight for myself, actually, to, uh, to end up that madness of the one person. Uh, Ken, I am following that war because it's close to my country as well, and my country is not a really stable country in, in governing itself. There are so many uh, politicians that are very, very uh, unstable. They go, they go from east to west and from, from right to, to the left, very unstable. Even now, I think that war in, in, in Europe, and that is, a, that is a test from entire world, entire civilization, entire society of this planet. One per, that is one person war. That is one person war. It's, it's, not, it's not simply Russian people war. It is one crazy people. You're making some incredible observations that I know everybody can get their teeth into. And I do appreciate you having the same view that I have about the current war in Ukraine and that it is a one-person war, Putin, not Russia, but yet the Russians are in it. And we as the United States are very uh, challenged to be able to swat someone like that because of the fear of nuclear war. But I can see where your home country can feel very threatened by this because it appears to me, maybe you would elaborate on this, that if he were to take Ukraine, he would probably take other countries that were previously under Soviet control. Well, he mentioned several times Kosovo case and tried to compare his case, his war with with what happened in Kosovo 1999. That is a quite different, different case. If you remember in 1999, Milosevic tried to, to expel the people for their own home, and that forced NATO to intervene and to stop this, this genocide. Now, this man tried to let the people be killed there by his military and destroy everything that Ukrainians built with their passion and their work. I, I don't know, that war is a tragic moment in entire world history. I hope that leader will came with one decision to stop that madness. Because, uh, listen, one young man, 40 years old, in my age that I immigrate to US, is leading one nation, one country, one culture that stand up against one so-called empire. Putin tried to see himself like empire man, like he own a Russian. He doesn't want Russian. He doesn't want Russian people. He doesn't own uh, Russian culture. Russian culture is bigger than Putin. Putin is one person. And those crazy people that come in power like Putin, if you see Putin since 2000, play game with the constitution, with the rule of law, with everything. Look at this. I came here with the President Clinton. Now I had Bush, I had Obama, I had a, a Trump. All these presidents are coming and go in, in our life. They just don't stay forever. Can you imagine to be forever in the life of your children, to tell them what to do? They're going to hate your children if you tell them what to do. What about one, one, one leader like, like, like Putin 
try to, to tell the Russian what to do or try to, to tell the Ukrainian what to do, to enjoy or not to enjoy NATO, to like or not to like freedom or democracy. That is crazy. I, I believe as my belief is that Putin is a political mutation of post-communist area in Eastern Europe is most danger virus in our politics, most danger. And people are scared because they think that maybe use the atomic uh, bomb and maybe destroy the world. But we had to have a courage before that, actually. Since the annexation of Crimea, this mad leader should be stopped. And I don't know, we are going to win. Cave, cave is going to be like a Stalingrad for a Russian. That is my belief. Jeff Chet, totally agree with your observations here. Let me turn to your life in America and finish up with that and the other things you're doing. Tell me about your two sons. They're now grown men. They literally have grown up in the United States. Uh, they spoke better English than you the first time I met them. Uh, and uh, here they are, adults. Tell me what's happened in their lives. It's wonderful to see your kids to be free men in free country. I'm, I'm so pleased. Only achieving that, I want to die, <laughs> to be honest. Because you see, you see your kids not needing you anymore. Since they're 18, they're not needing anymore. I will bring you one example to understand what we have accomplished in our country with that independence of the individual, of one person to be free for everything. I was back in Albania and, uh, a couple months ago, and I met some friends. One of them is in my age. He's a journalist. He published a lot of books about the politics and stuff like that. And was one of his sons was fired from the job. One of his sons lost the job, almost age of my son. And having dinner somewhere, he said to me, can you help me? What? Can you tell somebody to hire my son? Because he has a chance to hire somebody. Look at him. And I was laughing. He said, why are you laughing? Because I forget how to interfere to get the job. My kids are getting a job by them. So they never ask me what to get the job. How can I interfere to somebody, hire somebody because he's my friend? So this, this is one, one example telling that still on those societies is a nepotism is a connection that creates you the chance and the possibilities it's not the system in america even that could have some kind of connection that could help you still is is like a sky possibilities are like a sky if one company doesn't like you or discriminate you or, or that doesn't give you what you want another company is giving you in other companies going to love you is in another company company or another higher company will see your value and give you the chance that is why america is so great and my kids find out the job that they love not not job that i suggest or thing that i can tell they both of them they own the they bought the houses uh, other son is investing in real estate as well other son is is uh, making a video on youtube and doing some thinks in a psychology, they do whatever they want to do. Do you have any grandchildren yet? Not yet. I don't know yet. <laughs> uh. That is another thing. In our culture, when the kids are 
grow enough, 225, every society, every part of society where you live, said, what about your kids? Are they getting married yet? I said, why, why have to worry about this? When the marriage decision will come, will come from them, not from me. Even that culture is a quite different here because here people make their choices, choices, what to marry and when to get married. Not when he's telling your father or your mother. <laughs> now, you obviously have become so much more articulate in English, but you think all the time. And I know that financially you have been successful, but you appear to be at a stage of your life when you want to give back. And you started writing. Of course, that's what you wanted to do always. But I saw that you had published a book in Albanian, uh, and now you've got more books either published or on the way. That's a pretty good jump to be able to start publishing. How did you get into that? Well, like uh, we mentioned in that conversation, was my, my uh, childhood dream to write and to publish. So I want to make one remark in this way, because almost uh, 15, 16 years ago, me and my wife, first job was to translate and publish in Albania, Wandering of America, a book with a short story of successful people in America, uh, written by Derek Johnson. I contacted Mr. Johnson and asked him, can you give me permission to publish that book? It was a 2006 somewhere. And he told me, how much you can give me? I said, I can give nothing. I don't have any money to give, but I can give your name in Albanian language. <laughs> so I published that book. It was a very pleasure to see that those story. And uh, I use that as a, as a tool to tell newcomer from Albania to read that book and to start the life in America. Now, living between two cultures, two countries, you like to tell something. And in a moment, we that, uh, that uh, based in our life in, in writing and telling the story, uh, I have one good friend that uh, inspired me to keep writing because in a moment, I, I almost stopped that. He came here to visit America. I said, you living in this wonderful country, in this great inspiration, where is your inspiration to write now? We need you to, 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 read, your write, to, to read your writing about life here and life there. Can you do that? So he so said it, it was kind of a, a, a starting point when I thought, well, maybe I can do something bigger. And just last year, I published a novel about one Albanian immigrant. The hero is one Albanian immigrant coming in USA. Uh, they have no children, but they have a love for the life and for the country. They work together very hard. Uh, he's a very politicized, very involved in politics as a man from coming from communism when the, everything was politics. He decided at the moment to vote for President Trump and get big disappointment at the end. So it was a very interesting story how, how the people change and think in unlimited way in America. Is that your book, Saga Across Atlantic? Saga Across Atlantic is telling for this guy that even that he had no kids, he see and enjoy the life in a beautiful way in America. He see himself reborn in America without any heritage, with, with, with the things that he couldn't find out in his own country. Jeff Chet, you also um, have your business, that is uh, Mako Properties. Uh, can you... Uh, Tell me, I know 
you already were owning some additional properties shortly after you got here. Have you continued to expand in that area? The America is, is, is a school that never ends. You are always in America in learning process. So is is kind of university without door open or closed. You never never end. Believe me or not, living in a country when even the government supposed to decide you which apartment you are go you are going to live, uh, getting married back in 1989 with no house, no place to live, but just one dormitory in in in, in, in a student building, you come here and you change your life you buy your first house with somebody else's money you respect the debt and you pay back the debt you manage everything you learn how to maintain the property how to maintain the value how to uh, to to communicate to the people and you feel like a king without kingdom you don't need a kingdom in usa you are king in your dreams in your hope in your in your in your vision that you want for your life why do you need to be king of somebody else you are king of your own life and america is a, is a, a kingdom with a million and million kings that everybody is all is his own so having saying that i am thankful to america because i learned so many things i used to go in a public auction buying the house that was quite damaged and i learned to do everything from tiling, painting, plumbing, uh, learning electrician, learning everything. And I'm proud to say that I am one of the best landlords because I was homeless in my home country. So I am very flexible with my tenant. I never charge late fee. I never yell if the rent is late. I will always smile to them and say, thank you. And I have a tenant that staying with my property for 10 10 years almost. Let me give you what I think is the ultimate compliment, even though I'm speaking to you. You are the original grandfather. You're the original grandfather that came from Albania and that in future generations, they're going to talk about you, that you're the one that got them positioned in the U.S., you're the one that inspired them, and you're the one that encourage them to move forward and live their own lives as kings themselves. And uh, I hope people are as moved by what you've said as I am. And I'll tell you, knowing you, Chef Chet, and saying this to everybody, this is who he is. This is who this man is. And I am, I'm so honored that you and I have kept a friendship since the first time we met back in the 1990s. Me too, Ken, but I always go back and think about our our grandfather they were much braver than we are made this country by going with the horses from the corner to the corner how they maintained that so in that point i always thinking about that heroism about this courage that our ancestor let's say made in this country and have that vision and i try to be careful for one thing not to be spoiled i try to tell my kids not to be spoiled not to take anything for granted and to think always for others because if you are lucky 
you could be luck for somebody else. My guest that I've had the delight to speak with and to know is Chef Chet Mako. His first name is spelled in English S-H-E-F-Q-E-T, and Mako is M-E-K-O. He's a resident of Minneapolis. He and his wife, Alma, they have two sons. Sons are doing well in the United States. You've been bringing many other people and helping them become Americans. You have been a citizen since uh, 2005. And uh, Chef Chet, I wish you and Alma well, and I hope to speak to you again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you, Ken. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Better Than Nothing with me and my friend Chef Chet Mako. If you made it to this point, you are diligent in your listening skills, and I hope you were able to take away much of what Chef Chet said. If you'd like to make any comments about this podcast, you can send me an email to ken at betterthannothing.com. Nothing is spelled N-U-T-H-I-N. If you can't remember that, you can send one to kenroot at gmail.com. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again next week.